Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. That's right. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Mm-hmm. And Aaron, you're mm-hmm. up this week. What have you brought to the table today? I'm bringing an article called When Abolitionists Say Free Them All, We Mean Palestine Too by Nadine Neighbor and published by Truthout. Nadine organizes with Insight Palestinian Force, Mamas Activating Movements for Abolition and Solidarity, and the Palestinian Feminist Collective, and does a ton of other stuff, including contributing regularly to Truthout. Mm-hmm. And teaching some college courses as well. So it's just a, a lot going on. Busy, busy. She's contributing to. Yes. This article argues that the fight for abolition and the fight for Palestinian liberation are more than similar. They're one and the same. Mm-hmm. She writes five specific points about how militarism is inherently tied into the prison industrial complex and how abolition means working against all of this simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Her five reasons we cannot abolish one without the other, meaning the prison industrial complex without the military industrial complex, are militarization of the police, privatization, border violence, dispossession and disinvestment, and heteropatriarchy. Yes. So those are all brilliant reasons to consider how these things are deeply, deeply interwoven. Yes. And one of the opening arguments she makes is that, quote, it is no coincidence that the Senate is currently discussing changes to the U.S. migration system as part of a military aid package related to Israel and Ukraine in the name of national security. Israel purchases more than 80 percent of its weapons and military technology from the U.S. using the billions of dollars of military assistance it receives from the U.S. annually. The U.S. in turn supports Israel to operate as the police of the Middle East, North Africa, and the world over. She points out exactly why these so-called border protection measures are being debated alongside aid to Israel and Ukraine, when I think frequently we don't talk about it. It's just, a, oh, they're they're trying to deal with the, the quote-unquote border problem, and right. they're throwing in the aid to Ukraine and Israel in that too. But she points out that this is on purpose. Yes. These things are, are interwoven and... The people debating it in the Senate know that, and that's why mm-hmm. it's all connected. That's why it's there. Absolutely. Yeah. In so many ways, that's what makes this such an insightful piece. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's so important for us to be to understand this and talk about it uh, because these things, are, as you say, are in- interconnected and interwoven. Mm-hmm. And so this was a really phenomenal piece. I'm so glad you brought it, found it, uh, that we get to talk about it here on the podcast. I think. Not only was this an insightful piece, I think it also provided an incredible analysis of the the connections that exist between militarization and globalization and and clearly war, mm. genocide and and the the fight for abolition and you know this idea that as we are fighting for prison abolition, we also have to be working towards the abolition of the military and you know, her thinking and her call to action that this has to be work that is done simultaneously mm-hmm. is, I think, such an important message and call to action that she's offering in this piece. And, you know, especially when I think about what's taking place, you know, with this genocide across the world, you know, her analysis and, and that call to action are really so very timely mm-hmm. and, and necessary for us to understand. So, yeah, there was a lot to learn here. There's a lot to unpack. I'm excited to get into it. One of the 
things she says very early on in this piece is this, quote, during this profoundly terrorizing moment of Palestinian genocide, we need to acknowledge how the structures of incarceration, anti-migrant violence, and U.S. conquest have always gone hand in hand, mm. right? Mm. And so, and I think that speaks to your point about what they're talking about in the Senate and why these things are connected in packages, right? Like that one simple sentence is in fact not so simple. Yeah. And and I think it goes way beyond, uh, this piece in fact goes way beyond just making sure that we acknowledge those things. Right. We have to act. That's the call here. We have to act on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that she's giving us analysis we don't get from the news yes in so many ways because the the news is a re reality tv version of the news <sighs> yes um of who said this and why that's dramatic and blah 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 but yeah so as i mentioned earlier her first reason for why you cannot separate abolition of the prison industrial complex from abolition of militarism is the ways that policing has become so heavily militarized. Yes. She says, quote, many of us remember the summer of 2014 when activists in Ferguson, Missouri, faced the military-grade weapons of four city and state police departments, tear gas, smoke bombs, stun grenades, and tanks, while at the same time, Palestinians were confronting Israel's heavily, heavy artillery shelling, massive use of cannons, mortars and half ton to one ton missiles. The same US company, Combined Systems Incorporated, made the tear gas canisters fired in both Ferguson and Gaza. This is why it would be a mistake to forge solidarity from Ferguson to Gaza based only upon the idea that our struggles are similar, i.e. both communities faced tanks, tear gas, etc. Because our struggles are also interconnected. The same institutions that attacked black protesters in Ferguson had been sharing military technology and strategies with the Israeli army. And so I remember this moment. I remember yes. people on Twitter from Palestine sharing how to remedy tear gas right. for yourself with people in Ferguson and in, across uh, the, the communities that were experiencing this in particular. I, I also listened to the episode of Movement Memos that uh, Nadine was on yeah, with, with Kelly, Kelly Hayes. Hayes. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she talked about this moment being like, look, the images are so similar. Yeah. It's eerie. And like, look, this tear gas canister is made by the same company mm -hmm. that's in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's not that this looks similar. It's that it is the same. It is the exact they same situation. They are interwoven. They're enmeshed. They're inseparable. And we have to treat them as such. Otherwise, we miss something yes. in, the, in the response to these things. Absolutely. I mean, that part of the quote, you know, it's the same institutions that attacked these folks in mm -hmm. both of these places. And you're absolutely right. And I didn't listen to the their conversation, but I do remember those images. I remember those images. And you could, if you strip away a, a landmark here or there, I mean, yeah. they looked exactly the same, mm -hmm. right? And so that part to me, that connection between what we saw in Ferguson and what we saw in Gaza, and to be honest, what's still happening in Gaza mm -hmm. uh, is, is really just wild and for me in so many ways it's been it's disheartening and disgusting to say the least about what folks what real people experienced at the hands of you know the state and these these mm -hmm. s the same institutions from that quote i'm glad you brought up that that first reason right in that same section nadine neighbor also highlights the the link between militarism and policing that exists in 
the in Arab and, and Muslim communities as well. And so that just made me think about, you know, the ways in which this problem affects so much of our world and so mm. many of us. It, it's this idea that, you know, if none of us are safe, you know, none of us are safe yeah. um, and it's affecting so many of us. So that that was a great first reason. Mm -hmm. One of the other reasons she talks about for why we can't separate the abolition of the prison industrial complex from uh, abolition of militarism was what she referred to as privatization yeah. um, or it's the practice known as cyber capitalism or surveillance mm -hmm. capitalism and how that surveillance has been used here in the States to repress, I would even go so far to say it, terrorize BIPOC yeah. movements, BIPOC people, and then translate and replicate that on the world stage. And this is something that she argues is something we all should be angry as hell about, you know, especially when you think about the implications of the state-sanctioned violence on all of us. So the quote I pulled, she says, after the police perpetrated killing of George Floyd, may he rest in peace and power, DHS collected intelligence on protesters who were arrested for trivial criminal infractions, having little to no connection to domestic terrorism. More of us should be outraged and deeply concerned that the Department of Homeland Security is surveilling protesters and collecting lists not only of activists, but also their friends, family members, and social media associates, whether or not these associates engage in any political activity themselves. And so that to me is wild. That is certainly worth us being angry. I mean, this sort of yeah. blanket surveillance and monitoring of protesters and their family and, you know, just folks they are associated with is, is absolutely not something that any of us should be okay with or, or stand for. Yeah. And I think about the way that so many people fought against the Patriot Act. Yeah. Uh, decades ago now and the way that we all just kind of accepted uh you know the creation of a new department like homeland security in the yeah. wake of uh the terrible events of 9-11 but it's led to this where yes. there's just now another agency that is here to surveil and monitor and control people who are protesting oppression and violence around the world. Right. And the way that that also has, over the last few decades, impacted Muslim communities in particular too, is just outsized. So I remember a lot of people uh, being opposed to the way that the Patriot Act was gonna be implemented. Yes. And that this, the, the, not, not the way it's gonna be implemented, but the actual act itself. And they were right in so mm -hmm. many ways yeah. because the, you know, the, um, well, James Baldwin say, if people tell you who they are, listen. Yes. I am thinking I'm paraphrasing that. Yes, it's not you are. quite what it is. Right. The act said what it was going to do, and, and then, then it did it. It has done it, and yeah. it has done it consistently. Carte blanche, really, yeah. in so many ways. And mm. expanded border protection services and and you know all that stuff. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I said earlier, and, and Nadine made this point early on in the article, is that connection between border control here at home and our military industrial complex and the way that that connects to the violence and control of the Palestinian people. Mm. She says, quote, the military industrial complex depends on policing of borders, including both U.S. state and vigilante violence against migrants. The U.S.'s murderous practices on the Mexican border borrow from Israel's border policing, and the U.S. and Israel use their borders as laboratories for new forms of militarized police enforcement and control. 
So, of course, we've explored this line of thinking before when we read and discussed the Palestine Laboratory. Yeah. But this is a clear illustration of how these systems of border control lead to violence and are ultimately the same in so many ways. And there are vigilantes in both places, I think. And there's there's all these ways that this control and enforcement of the border and to connect back to William Anderson and the way that we are you know, trained to respond and protect yes. what we have as quote unquote citizens. And therefore, you know, people feel compelled to go protect the border because they don't think it's being done properly or whatever. Right. Like all of that is all tied up into the the last couple of books we've read with Absolutely. the Palestine Laboratory and, and the Nation on No Map. But it's really clear here how that border enforcement are connected the ways that, you know, I think back to the Palestine Laboratory too, the ways that private companies are building these border, these so-called smart border walls, uh, which are profiting, profiting and yeah. those are being implemented here in the U.S. and around the world uh, in different places that want to lock down their borders. Yeah. And it's just really good analysis to, to show us how all of these things are not just connected, but literally the same absolutely well you get double points for connecting two of our previous books to this thanks uh, i'm gonna yeah. keep a tally yeah <laughs> please do actually i shouldn't have said that because you will keep a tally <laughs> um but no that new spreadsheet coming up <laughs> soon. new spreadsheet coming up soon i think all of those reasons are just sort of clear and important examples of why we can't separate the abolition of of, of the prison industrial complex from the abolition of militarism so um, that's such good stuff there. And again, great connection to the, both of those books. One of the other reasons you mentioned at the top that Nadine neighbor discussed in this piece was dispossession and disinvestment. And this one, I don't know why it stuck out to me as much as it did, but in so many ways, I think it aligns so well with past conversations we've had about what true community and, and public safety is and should be and, mm -hmm. and what we actually need to live and be free. So maybe that's why it stood out to me. Probably. The, 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 the funding that our governments are funneling towards policing and the military and yeah. The, the entire prison industrial complex, and even this this genocide we've been talking about is all funding that isn't helping real people and communities right here yeah. and abroad or abroad. And to me, none of that is okay. And so much of what it does is perpetuate the violence that's being inflicted upon communities of color or marginalized communities. And so the section ends with, with this. She says, quote, if we are going to strive for abolition and create alternatives to policing, we're going to need to do the same in relation to militarism. Can we imagine alternatives to military recruitment of young people of color who are sent to die as fodder on the front lines of U.S. wars in service of white supremacist capital? Or of our own BIPOC women, queer, and trans siblings who face disproportionate acts of sexualized violence in the military? In Black, Latino, and Native American communities, people have a far greater chance of going to prison than of getting a decent education and some young people are choosing the military to avoid what they see as an inevitable trip to prison. Mm -hmm. As Angela Davis puts it, young people of color should not have to choose between prison or the military. Yeah. And so to me, that quote, you know, and those questions are so powerful because to me, there's got to be better choices available to people. Mm -hmm. And that to me starts with this full stop abolition that Nadine is pushing for in this piece. But, you know, again, it also speaks to the true needs of people again here and abroad, but what we need to 
to where we need to be spending our money to keep people alive and safe and well, as opposed to, you know, this continued militarism. Yeah. And it, this reminds me of a, a, a book I'm reading called Punish for Dreaming, mm. where she talks directly about this exactly and how um, it's about education reform okay, uh, and the ways that education reform has specifically harmed black people in black communities. Yes. And the ways that, you know, as Angela Davis puts it, young people of color shouldn't have to choose between prison or the military. Right. So, yeah. Well, this feels like a good time to shift and talk about application. Okay. How does what we've discussed today so far apply to our day-to-day lives? I mean, we can see the parallels in the way that the U.S. government and the Israeli government operates from this settler colonial perspective and framework. We can see how militarism is inherently intertwined with carcerality. We can see from this whole article and the Movement Memos episode that I mentioned that Nadine was on, that these fights aren't just similar, they're all intertwined. These are interlocking systems of violence and control and oppression and elimination. And we can't abolish one without abolishing them all because they're kind of like a hydra. And I think if we- Oh, wow. No, hydra or Cerberus? Hydra. hydra. Yeah, hydra. Mm-hmm. If you cut one off, like yep. more will just pop up. Yes. So, you know, think about it. If we got rid of Department of Homeland Security because of the stuff that they're doing, somebody else would just start doing what the Department of Homeland Security has been doing because that work is probably already being done by somebody else anyway. Actually, though. And somebody else, I mean another state surveillance agency right here in the United States. Speaking of, hello to our agent listening. Um <laughs> So yeah, that's part of, that's my application for the week. I think that's some spot on application from this piece. I mean, the fact that we are facing these interconnected or or interlocking, as you say, systems of violence and oppression in our everyday lives as, as, as people across the globe is, is absolutely uh, an important reason why we need all of it gone, all of it to be abolished. So Mm. I, I feel that when I was thinking about application, I couldn't help wanting to share the final sentences from this piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of it is, I think it's really connected to what you talked about. So Nadine closes the piece by saying, quote, let us affirm that when we say no one is free until Palestine is free, we mean no one. Here's to a free Gaza, a free Palestine, and the affirmation of love, life, and rage from Turtle Island to Palestine. And for folks who aren't familiar, Turtle Island is how some indigenous rights activists refer to our continent, actually. But I I, I just thought that was not only a brilliant way to close this piece, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it also affirms the connections that exist between all of the ways in which we believe in and, and we've talked about abolition on this podcast um, being sort of the only way forward, the only way towards this collective liberation that we desire and we need and how collective liberation is necessary for all people around the globe. And so to me, I I appreciated this piece for lots of reasons. I learned a lot, but I appreciate learning from pieces like this one that allow us to explore how the fight is greater than just us Mm -hmm. greater than just our country. For sure. We are interconnected people um, yeah. and we're fighting in inter- interconnected systems and and and, and oppression and so th- this pieces like this just really open my eyes to the world in ways that I know we all need mm. yeah well said well said thank you all right well let's talk about homework what do we want to do to continue to learn about this beyond our conversation today yes my homework is to learn some more from the Palestine 
from the Insight Palestine Force. Okay. Nadine mentioned them on, on movement memos and mentioned specifically that they would be releasing a toolkit soon. Oh, really? So uh, I've been keeping my eye yeah, out on their do. website since they since uh, she talked about that on the episode. But they've also released some books, which I believe we've mentioned here on the show before. So I think we should just dig into the work of, of, in, of the Insight Network some yes, more. Yes, yes. I like that. I like that a lot. There's definitely, there are definitely lots of mentions of the Insight movement and their mm-hmm. network and their global work and reach that uh, I would love for us to learn more about. So uh, I'll co-sign that. I'd also just to love more f- from Nadine Neighbor directly. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a, a great piece and I'd love to just read more from her. And when I did a little bit of digging into her career, her CV, she's actually got five books under her belt, including one called Color of Violence. It's a collection of pieces written by women of color, I think it's about 30 pieces. That's all about radically re-envisioning the anti-violence movement by putting women of color at the center of that work. Mm. And so when I was reading a little bit about it, it just sounds like an incredible read, certainly (laughs) potentially difficult to read, but definitely worthwhile. So I'd love to see what more we could learn from Nadine and her work directly. Yeah. 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 Cool. Very good. Sounds great. More reading to do as always. All right. Well, you're up next week. Damien, what are you bringing to the table on our next episode? That's my name. Sometimes you have to remind yourself, don't I you? I do. It takes a second for it to click. <laughs> um, for next week, I'm going to bring a piece from In These Times magazine's December 2023 issue called The Right is Prepared for This Moment, Are We? Whew. Yeah. It features interviews and, and conversations with several leaders, including Jamel Bowie, Alex Hahn, Nancy McLean, Tarso Luis Ramos, and our friend Olufemi Taiwo, all about the left's role in fighting the right. Mm. So here's what In These Times said about their December issue in general, but also particularly about this piece. Quote, that's why In These Times is publishing this special issue, because the situation is already dire enough, but next year's election promises, to, uh, promises a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's not neoliberal hysteria to say that Trump winning the presidency in 2024 could be the nail in the coffin of American democracy. The right, led by the Heritage Foundation, has already published its blueprints with pride. Mm -hmm. Even if Trump doesn't win, half the country already lives under an effectively separate constitution with sharply curtailed rights. So what do we do? How do we fight back? We asked some of the smartest people we know. Hmm. Yeah, so that that right there got me. <laughs> I was like, yes. And, yep. you know, thinking about the fact that we are in, this was in December, right? So they're talking about 2024. Uh, spoiler alert, we're there. We're in it. It is yeah. the election year. So we should think about this and talk about this and figure out what we're going to do. So mm-hmm. uh, why not learn from the, these incredible folks? So I'm yep. looking forward to reading it and talking about it next time. Yes, me too. As much as the the election gives me... Uh-huh. A lot of indigestion. Yeah. General, Scares me, all of the um, things. Yeah. I'm excited to hear from these folks who they talk to. Um, yeah. Including Jamel B-Boy Booyah Bass. Hey, hey. Uh, Bowie. <laughs> that's, that's his name on, on Twitter and TikTok. I you, love it. If, if, if you folks listening didn't know. Yes. You didn't I, just make that up. I didn't. I didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a BC Boys reference, too, in case you didn't know that either. Yes. But. Anyway, that's enough about that. I would like to thank you for joining us today. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share a podcast with the people in your life. 
Follow us on social media, including Instagram and TikTok. Check us out on YouTube and sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about all of us. Boy, wasn't that relevant in this episode? Mm, wasn't it? Yes. We'll talk to you next week.